Welcome to the Raising Cinephiles podcast, a show about passing on your love of cinema to the next generation. I'm your host, Jessica Cantor, and I have worked in all facets of the entertainment industry for the last 20 years, and recently became a mom. On this week's episode, we welcome Maggie McKay. She's the executive director of Vidiots and discusses how choosing a film in a place like a video store can allow a kid to create their own taste and passion for cinema. She, she's making this possible with the recently opened, she's making this possible with Vidiots recently opened video store and theater in the Eagle Rock neighborhood of California. And if you're able, I highly recommend donating to their capital campaign. The link is in the show notes. They are an organization that will keep cinema alive for generations to come. Always remember that myself and guests are speaking from personal experience and not giving parenting advice. Let's go ahead and dive into the episode. Welcome back to the Raising Cinephiles podcast. This is Jessica Cantor, your host. And today I'm here with Maggie McKay, the executive director of the Vidiots Foundation, a real champion of cinema. And I'm so excited that you're here to talk to me today. Thank you. Me too. (laughs) Awesome. I'll start with my first question. What is your first movie memory? So my earliest movie memory is my dad taking me to see 101 Dalmatians, which would have been in the 70s. I think I was really little. I was born in 75. And I think so this must have been 77 or 78, maybe. Maybe it was three. What's funny about it is that in those days, they used to show like a short film or short animated thing before a movie. And it was about the donkey that took Mary to Bethlehem. And I was raised, I was raised by atheists. So for me, it was like both like narratively sort of strange and shocking. And then it, whatever that movie is, I think it was called like The Little One or Little One, something like that. And it was whatever, it was beautiful. I'm sure it was like a Disney thing. It was, the colors were amazing. And so that's my earliest memory of seeing something on a big screen like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one of my other like really important memories was E.T. when I was probably six. And that was the moment at which I realized I wanted to show other people movies. Oh, and that wow. is what I at, do for a living now so at, and have done for 25 years. So at six years old, did you bring every one of your friends back to see it? I don't know who took me to see E.T. in the movie theater. I don't remember that part of it, but I think it was released in the summer. I'm not sure when it was released, but I went to a daycare and an after-school program that would occasionally do field trips. And it's kind of amazing that there would have been kids younger than I was at E.T., but I distinctly remember there being a very little kid in the group on my second viewing of it with my school group. And that I wanted that little one to sit next to me so that I could coach them through anything that was too intense or scary. But I loved the movies so much. And it was like in my DNA from the minute it started Mm -hmm. that it was very important to me to be able to watch someone who hadn't seen it, see it, and to walk them through that experience without talking and without interrupting, but have them near so that I could watch them have that experience that I had had and had been so transformative for me, whatever, like a few days or weeks before. And that was the start of my really wanting to watch other people watch movies. That's amazing. 
I'm going to come back to this, but I did notice there is an ET screening or was re- just recently at Vidiots. Yeah. And I was in my head being like, I hope they do that in like three more in three years because my son is just a little too young to go see that at a year and a half. But I'm counting down the hours and the we'll minutes. We'll do it every year. It's, okay, good. <laughs> it was, we're doing it again. We often will do two showings of a movie that we know is going to be really well-loved. And the first one was basically like a lot of kids having their first in-theater experience. Oh, that's awesome. And then every grown-up like weeping with nostalgia, including me. That's so beautiful. Okay, staying with your childhood, what was your family rituals around cinema? There there weren't so many rituals. I grew up in Manhattan and Brooklyn. My parents were divorced. It's funny that my dad took me to see my first movie because we didn't actually he he loves movies and he has incredible taste in film, but it's not his thing is music. And so he didn't pursue movies. My mother's a huge film lover. And we lived within walking distance to movie theaters that are now quite famous. But at the time, we're just film forum in its original location in Soho and the quad cinema, which has now been redone. And then what was then the Waverly, which is now the IFC Center. So, but at the time, they were just our local movie theaters. And my mom, my, well, I guess you could, you wouldn't call it a ritual, but the common factor in our movie going experience was that my mom took me to highly inappropriate movies for whatever age I was at, because understandably she wanted to go to the movies and she couldn't always have a babysitter. And some of them were pretty outrageous choices, but all of them ended up, I think, having a very important influence on me. Talk to me about some of them. Yeah, the big the big famous one in our house is An American Werewolf in London when I was six. Oh, wow. Which she did have to take me out of screaming within a few minutes. But it's one of my favorite movies to this day. And my 10-year-old loves it more than anything. I rewatch it. I rewatched it two nights ago. I watched it. So whatever, trauma versus like passion, who knows? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I moved to New York City when I was in high school and we lived across from Lincoln Square Cinemas. And so that's where I got my movie education. After school, didn't know what to do, spent my allowance going to the movies. Yeah, well, that's exactly what I did. And I think that was the magic for me was, yes, I had one parent who was taking me to see stuff, but that was for her. She wasn't curating for me. We, I just mm-hmm. was tagging along. And when I got old enough to babysit, which in the 70s and 80s was around 10. Then I was on my own and that was, I was making my own ritual. And that I think is what is fundamentally important and fundamentally absent and very much my driving force behind everything that I've been doing with Vidiots over the last seven, eight years is all about the fact that I had this thing that I don't see kids having anymore. Yeah. And talk to me a little bit about how you made choices. How did you curate your taste? It was really simple for me. The movie going part was really simple. It was like our generation or my generation had movies that were extremely high quality movies made for younger people. We had The Lost Boys. We had Stand By Me. We had The Goonies. These are fantastic movies. So it wasn't very hard. I went to the stuff that was made for me and marketed to me in the movie theater, say anything. There were just 
a lot of those movies available, but where it got more interesting was in the video store. So mm -hmm. I lived in a neighborhood that was then very inhospitable to kids and downright dangerous. And when the video store opened across the street from my house, which would have been in the early 80s, everything changed. And that's where it wasn't the movie theater that broke me out of my sort of like typical viewing box. It was the video store that did that because mm -hmm. there were no algorithms in the video store. There was no marketing design. There were no commercials. You browsed and you picked up anything that remotely looked odd or interesting or scary or sexy. And that's where I found things that were so explicitly not made for me and not mm -hmm. marketed to me. But those were the movies that made the most, I would say, that advanced me the most as a movie lover. Yeah. And so it really wasn't the movie theaters. It was the video store that busted open that world for me, which is tells you why I love video yeah. so much. Yeah. And just for our listeners who aren't familiar with Vidiots, will you give like the top line of what it is and how it's reopened and all of that? Sure. You got three hours? No, I'm kidding. Sure. Vidiots is the landmark Los Angeles video store. We opened in 1985. We were way beyond a sort of we're mom and mom video store, not mom and pop. We're female founded in <laughs> since 85. But what our founders, Patty and Kathy did when they opened was they did it very conscientiously. They didn't just want to run a store or a transactional space. They opened to specifically create a community hub. They wanted to party in there every Friday night. They wanted to like, they wanted to party on their own turf around something that they found interesting and missing in Los Angeles. And that happened to be a video store. And that's precisely what they did. Vidiots was so beyond any video store I've ever known or heard of because they were doing things like bringing Charles Burnett in for a conversation. They were throwing birthday parties for Les Blank and Russ Meyer and having polka parties and puppet shows. And they were appealing to everyone in their neighborhood. And then that became, and then their collection was so mind blowing, especially at the time, because things were so difficult to find. And the way they were curating was so unique, I think largely because they were women, that their reputation went way beyond the neighborhood. And suddenly they were a national phenomena in, in terms of independent video stores. And then they were also like the they are still the most welcoming, funny, kind, generous people on the planet. And everybody wanted to hang out there. And famous people, not famous people, filmmakers, local people, anybody. We had such a diverse community in Santa Monica. And then obviously the technological shift had a really debilitating impact on their business model. They transitioned to a nonprofit around 2012-13 I got wind that they were looking for an executive director, which I had never been. I'm a career film programmer for film festivals, and I've made a career out of putting audiences and films together in LA for the last 25 years. But I, when I heard that Vidiots was looking for an ED, I thought, well, I might as well throw my hat in the ring because I am... I was, especially at the time, the one person who I knew who had never given up on video stores and was constantly talking about the importance of video stores and 
the dangers of a streaming only world, which at that time I can tell you no one was talking about. So I'll take a little credit for that. But no one except for Patty and Kathy and the other video store owners. And yeah, it became a real passion project. And when I realized very early on in 2016, 2017, when I took the job, there was no sustainability possible in Santa Monica. And we announced closing in 17. I always had a plan that we would try to reopen. I think very few people think that thought that would actually happen. And I definitely had times where I didn't either, especially because we did almost all of this during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But here we are, open in, open in Eagle Rock with a 271-seat, beautiful cinema, a bar, concessions, the full, yeah. the full meal deal. I actually lived around the corner from the Santa Monica store. I was there 2014 to 2020, basically. And I was so years. Yeah, I lived on Bay Street. So like literally around the corner and so sad when I saw it close. But I went to the event at the Ace and a couple of the uh, fundraising events. And I am so excited to go across town and visit. It's not so easy to get across town right now with the age of my child, but it's definitely going to happen. I'm I'm so happy for the work that you're doing, I think, especially for the future of my kid. And so going back to the the video store, I'm curious your relationship to your video clerk, like how when you were a young kid, like how much did they help you find and discover? Oh, not at all. My video store, the late great rare bird video was also an independent store in Soho. I have absolutely no recollection of any of the clerks. They weren't, it was a, the way that the store was set up, it was a very Soho-esque setup. You walked in off of the street level and then you went downstairs. And it wasn't a particularly huge space, but the clerks were upstairs. So I was mostly downstairs by myself for hours on end. They were cool. They never kicked me out. Occasionally, my mom would call and say, hey, is there a kid there? Send her home for dinner. But <laughs> that that was the beauty of that experience, right, was that it was totally self-motivated. Mm-hmm. It was safe. They Maybe they knew my name. Maybe there was a little bit of banter once in a while. But they were probably like artists who were working there and trying to like, at the time, keep up with what eventually were very rising costs in Soho. I, I doubt that they were like career video store clerks. Yeah. Um, I wish that I could remember some of them, but it didn't matter that they weren't guiding me to things. I'm sure there was a little bit of back and forth once in a while, but it really was completely self-motivated. And I think that's what was important about it was that I wasn't being tutored through the experience. Mm-hmm. Any teenage kid or preteen will tell you, like, you you watching your parents or your older siblings or your aunts and uncles do something isn't the motivating factor for your interests. Self-discovery is the motivating factor. I ask this question a lot. Do you think taste is nature or nurture? I don't know. I, I think it's access. I don't think it's either. I think it's access. I generally think people are smart and have the ability to, or like the inclination towards good taste in film, whatever that means. But I think it's what you have access to. And I think the big box video stores didn't help. I think those were limiting. And I think certainly now we're really limited. But I think if you have access to something interesting, people will gravitate towards it. 
I used to be much more militant as a film programmer for film festivals about what I thought was good and bad and bad taste and good taste. I still, there are plenty of movies that I loathe that people like and I'm like, you're wrong. But I think coming back to my video store roots with Vidiots has, because the goal is to give everybody access to everything that is possible to watch or to discover, it makes you stop caring in some ways about what's good or bad. It's so interesting when you think about little movies that like capture the nation. The one that's coming to mind is Little Miss Sunshine, you yeah. know, which is quirky and strange. And they started small, but it, it had such great emotion and feeling. So I think it's the definition of what makes good good. It's not necessarily craft sometimes. It's yeah. like that was a craftful film, but it's the how the film makes you feel. And it sometimes a bad film can hit you on the right day and get your sure. your mojo going because you just needed that feeling and it becomes your favorite film at that moment. Yeah. I also I just think it's always so wonderful and surprising to talk to someone about their film interests because especially people who or not your work colleagues or people that are already invested. But like, I routinely will talk to our mail carrier about her favorite movies that she, and many of which she saw at the Eagle when she was growing up. And like, she has the most interesting taste in movies and it overlaps a lot with mine. Whereas like I have colleagues who've been doing the same work in the same circle as I have for a long time. And we don't have, our taste does not overlap at all. So, and that's the beauty of the movies, right? It's the art form for the masses. And when it's really, really accessible to people, it creates these incredible connections where there don't naturally seem to be those connections. And that's my, that's why I am working so hard to keep it accessible. Yeah, it's it, part of the reason and impetus of, me starting this podcast is I'm afraid by the time my son is a teenager, he won't have a place to see movies. Yeah, not if I can help of, it. Outside of his living room or a museum. And part of it is a lot of the movies for him, like the ones you saw when you were younger, are on streaming. They're on streamers. They never go to a theater. And as a writer, creator of content, I'm suddenly drawn to want to to write those what would be today's Goonies like what is that like action adventure and I and I'm the amount E.T. Goonies Jaws Back to the Future have come up in these conversations how much they've defined a childhood is kind of insane I mean it's it's just it's amazing what kids how kids are when they have access. I have a 13 and a 10 year old and they were, they've always liked movies. They have always liked going to the movies. I don't think the options for them in terms of new movies have been strong since they, they've had great things like Coco and when they were little, but I think that they're definitely like if whatever the equivalent of like YA in film is, I don't think it's very high quality in terms of what is going into movie theaters. They definitely like some of the Marvel movies. They're like big Black Panther fans. But the other stuff, like the franchise stuff, I think they just burned out on it. The Spider-Man movies, they love the Spider-Verse movies. They love because they're so unique. 
but those are not, those are like once every few years. And so there's not this consistent flow Mm -hmm. coming into the movies. But I will say that during the pandemic, they both lost focus. It, It became without being able to go to the movies they totally lost focus. And I I was like, had my personal anxiety, but like, oh shit, like my kids can't, my own kids cannot sit still through a movie or get through an hour and a half without talking. And like, here I run video. It's like, this is gonna be so embarrassing. What am I gonna do? And Mm -hmm. then we started screening movies just a little over two weeks ago. They've been each at at least five or six movies. And my son, I watched him watch. My son watched the great and wonderful, perfect, truly perfect movie, Crooklyn. Spike Lee's, Mm -hmm. my favorite Spike Lee movie, truly a perfect piece of film. Mm -hmm. I watched my 13-year-old watch that movie. He sat in a row by himself off to the side. He did not take that phone out once. He sat through the whole movie. His eyes were on the screen the whole time. We walked out. He said, oh, that movie's so good. That is him, not me. He did that. And it was because mm-hmm. he had access to that movie theater and that movie. And I thought, okay, everybody's retrainable. Like the minute <laughs> they have access, they will consume these things in the way that they should be, in the way that they were meant to be consumed. Yeah. They just need the access. So can we back up to your kids being little? Because yeah. I'm... Really, this is my personal way of asking people for advice on how to make my child like film. Happy, happy to. So what do you remember? How do you introduce them to film? So the my older one, who's now 13, we like experimented a little bit. We were pretty like we're not we weren't like a no screen house or anything, but there was Sesame Street was on. And then he went so cuckoo banana, something weird happened with Elmo where it was like a drug and he couldn't even watch Sesame Street after a while because when Elmo would not even just, even the minute where Elmo would not be on screen, like the camera would cut away from Elmo, he would like flip out. Mm -hmm. So then I was like, okay, we can't do this. So then we started watching the really old Sesame Streets on DVD. And that was sort of his entry point were those old Sesame Streets. But then at a certain point, we introduced the red balloon on DVD and he was like completely, totally enthralled and obsessed. How and there's, old? Do you remember how old? Yeah, little, like two and a half maybe. Okay. And he watched it. We did. We watched it every night for about a year. We would do like our routine. He was a kid who really needed a routine. He he was very mm-hmm. smart and very precocious and truthfully kind of a pain in the ass. So like we were like buttoned down on those routines because it made life easier and like avoided major meltdowns. And he he loved it. And we were happy to watch the red balloon over and over and over again. And then he like then he gravitated towards other things. We had some good Disney, a good Disney run in there. Like I think when he was little, there are movies that I don't let them watch. Because I just don't like them. I won't like see which, which ones. One. There's a particular <laughs> Disney movie about a oh. young girl that I think is problematic that I don't <laughs> show my kids. I mean, like, there's disclaimers in front of most of the Disney old Disney movies now. Yeah, which is and like oh, their other big one was the was Robin Hood, the 1970s Rob, Disney Robin Hood, which is 
if it's possible for Disney to make a truly anti-establishment movie, that's it. It was it. I think that the the creators of that movie intended it to be very anti-establishment, and I think they succeeded. And that was also our first movie we showed at Vidiots when we opened. Oh, awesome! Yeah. It's one of my favorites. They lo- He really loved that movie. My daughter is second kid. So like I said, American Werewolf in London when she was like seven, she just was rolling with whatever was on. Star Wars was a big, big defining factor. And I did curate Star Wars for him. Like I picked a date and a time and we made a big ritual out of it. And we started with the way, the way that one should, which is with the, with the originals. Yeah. And, I, yeah. I, I, my, which I, I'm not sure if I warned you, my last question is which movie should I show my son to turn him into a cinephile? So I one, one of my guests was like A New Hope. Like that's where you should start with, with Star Wars. Later, like La, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark was another one. Back to the Future, E.T., those were kind of on my list. And I like almost, I'm, I'm trying to decide, I don't, I don't want him to really watch a full movie like seriously until I can take him to the movie theater so that he understands the difference between streaming on the, on the TV or iPad and going to a movie. And that's a special thing for us to do together. Yeah. So I I may be renting, renting out the theater for the red balloon when he's two or something. (laughs) I think like, we'll just program it. I think the importance of going to the movie is, is being with other people, right. With being Mm -hmm. in an audience we will do the red balloon. It's great. It's great for really little kids because there's no, there's no language in it. It's just mm-hmm. all visuals and music. There's some talking and maybe there's a little bit of subtitle, but it's it, it doesn't matter. It's almost entirely visual. Mm-hmm. And it's sad. It's a sad story, but I think that's okay. I think kids can handle sad stories. I don't know. I think it depends on the kid. I loved, I'm very happy that we showed him Star Wars, but He, I could tell you Star Wars and Legos did, my kid was like a really, like a prolific artist when he was little and a drummer. And he was, it was like off the rails. People would see his, his drawings and be like, who did this? He would draw bands. He used to draw like Jimi Hendrix and his band or the Grateful Dead. It was crazy. He was so obsessed. And, and he was this very like quirky, unique set of interests for a kid his age and then star wars and legos were like normalized so i don't know if that made him more normal in quotes or if it made him a film lover i don't know but i don't think it matters i think that what matters is that they get a chance to make their own choices Mm -hmm. and i actually think like i think movie theaters are great and i love them and that's why we're running one but I also think that video stores are equally important in the same way that a library is important when they're little for them to have agency and be able to pick things up and look at them and choose them. And my experience watching my children when they were three and six run around at Vidiots when things were absolutely not going well and I knew we were going to have to close what, and I knew how I, I maybe I didn't know exactly how hard it was going to be to keep it alive, but I had an inkling and watching my children run around in the video store and the joy and the sort of inspiration and the kind of like sparks that were flying around in their brains. That's why I did it because mm-hmm. I knew I could do it for for them and I knew I could do it for for kids, honestly, 
who were needed it more than they did. And we're seeing it already. Has anything that they picked up in the video store surprised you? I they are so they have so much physical media in their lives that and now they're going to the movies so much. I haven't seen them in the video store, like explore the video store much because I've been working a lot. But yeah, like when May, when in that that one particular day that was sort of so electrifying when they were little at idiots. Oh my god, now it's like years and years ago. Yeah, definitely. I think my daughter took home like some like teenage movie or something when she was like three that <laughs> our clerk was like, give it a go. It was less about, to me, it's less about what they're actually taking home and more about the interaction that they're having around that thing. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they pick the thing and there's somebody to talk to them about the thing that they picked and then they take it home and then they bring it back and there's somebody to talk to about that that yeah. experience. And to me, that's way bigger than the actual title that they picked or... It would be an interesting thing. Have you seen like the Tony box or like those things where you get characters and you put them on a speaker and it tells you a story? No, I've never heard of that. So it's like, a, it's a toy. I've been, I've been debating because I also read a ton. I, I, I just really care about story in general and like yep. opening his eyes up to the world. And I don't think he's quite old enough yet, but it, each character holds a story there's a lot of kind of stories that we know from tv and film book stories and then family members can record stories oh yeah we had a we did we had a book where i think it was like the night before christmas or something where like a grandparent could recorded read their voice reading the story yeah. to our kids they liked that quite so a bit. it's like each story is inside this character and it placed on the top of like a smart speaker and then it work so they it's like the idea of handling and moving and I wonder if there's a world where you could do that same kind of digital transfer the technology is there where it would just tell you what to watch it's almost like plugging in a USB in a lot of ways you know yeah I don't know I'm 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 actually kind of relieved my kids are older in a in an increasingly technological world because we don't have smart speakers at our house. We're very, we're pretty, we're not, we, we have streaming, we've got Roku, but like we, I'm actually starting to think about sort of like decreasing the subscriptions we have because now we have the video store and my husband is almost entirely renting right now. And the choices on streaming are getting so scaled back. And what's happening with the big streamers is pretty, obviously with the strike, like it's, it's pretty it's pretty crummy especially my husband works in post so he's definitely impacted by all of this and um yeah i'm i'm have honestly moved so rapidly back into a physical media theatrical experience just overnight because I'm at Vidiots every single day for the last three weeks. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if there's like a world where Vidiots can have childcare. So I oh can my come God. and see a Maybe movie. That'd be great. <laughs> like a matinee. Yeah. Um, well, we do. We're definitely doing, we call it BYOB, bring your own baby or bring <laughs> others babies for like caretakers and parents. So the idea behind that would be to like show you guys like an actual adult movie that you want to see, but with like 
the understanding that if somebody's crying or we need low lighting or whatever, we can do that. I don't know if our marketing, if we've like, we, we got slammed into openings so fast. We never had sort of the soft launch period where we could like have time to build up our marketing. We just passed our inspections, which happened a lot later than they were supposed to. And then we just had to open because Mm -hmm. the financials on all of this are not easy. And, but eventually we'll like actually get to marketing all of that stuff in a very particular way. But yeah, we really want to do that. We want to do all the things. We want to do a thing called homework hour where the teens and tweens, when they are back in school, can come down from local schools and work with tutors and get some homework done. And then they get to watch something of their choice in the micro cinema. So we have a little micro. Mm -hmm. And then we're doing a lot of partner programming with like Outfest for Family Day and stuff like that. So the hope is that people of all ages and ranges and wherever they are in their lives start to know that Vidiots is a place where they can go and bring their kids or bring the kids that they're caring for. We're doing a lot of all ages stuff or a lot of stuff that we hope people will see as all ages and push some of the more adventurous kids to watch things black and white movies and horror movies and things like that. Um, Yeah. And and then lots of movies for little kids too, but. Part of what I'm kind of excited for in the, the journey of raising my son is like, you know, I'll help introduce him to some stuff. I'll let him choose stuff, but I get to rewatch everything. And I'm so excited and I'm almost like some of it I'll rewatch before and watch it again with, but you know, I just, I'm so excited to rediscover these films, both for myself and through his perspective. Oh, um, totally. Yeah. And then there will be a point where you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I have to watch this terrible movie over and over again. But but it won't matter because he's loving art. Whether yeah. or not you like it or not, he'll dig it. And that's yeah. that's really the, I think that's, what turns someone into a film lover is that they got to discover it and experience it through their own motivating factors. My entire sense of humor is based on like Eddie Murphy movies that were so highly inappropriate (laughs) at the time I was watching them, but I'm a little Eddie Murphy deep down inside (laughs) with lots, with, with no, with, with no homophobia. But um, my, my older brother and I, when we went to our grandparents from the video store around their house would rent. The only thing we could agree on was police Academy. Yeah. Which by the way, I rewatched and it's really got some awesome stuff in it. Police Academy (laughs) is like, I think one of those 80s movies that aged well. I have to rewatch that. But I was like, likely, I think I was seven, six, seven years old watching that. Like that airplane, I think we would watch. And they would, we would be happy watching. She'd leave, cut fruit, come back in and give us some fruit to watch with the movie. That was the thing. Just generally speaking, I think my generation had a lot more autonomy than younger generations. And I will say like my kids, I think they're getting it. I think Vidiots has been an incredible addition in their lives. Just even two to three weeks, I can see just so much happening for them emotionally, socially, because they have this place in their lives, regardless of whether their mom runs it. It's their na- They live in the neighborhood. It's their neighborhood 
they have a neighborhood movie theater. Yeah. And I just know running this space is really hard. We're still very much like working on our capital campaign. We did not hit the goal for our capital campaign before we opened. The financials on running a space like Vidiots are abysmal. They're so hard. Our financials are not abysmal yet, I don't think. But there, it is a very, very tough proposition to run a place like this, especially in this economy, especially with the industry and the condition it's in. But it's worth it to do it and ride it either until it's successful or until the wheels come off because... Every time there's even a small audience in there, it makes the world a little better because yeah. you're you're giving a person something they didn't have before. You're giving them an experience that indefinitely changes them. I one of the things that I think about a lot in having these conversations is when I was a teenager, both like I lived in Florida and then New York, and a lot of other people would be dropped off at twelve. 13 years old at the movie theater we would see our friends in the lobby it was our social get together and like and I know like from we all know that kids who are bored and have nowhere to go drink and do drugs they sit in a parking lot and drink and do drugs and for an hour and a half if they could be in a movie theater watching a movie eating candy I think is a much better way for them to spend their time and have something to talk about, have some way to share their experience with their friends. Yeah, that's what we're seeing of idiots. We're seeing groups of kids. And that was the one thing I wanted for the place. I wanted to see diverse audiences and I wanted to see groups of kids coming or single kids coming in by themselves to watch a movie. And that has been happening since day one of opening. We are seeing if we program for them, they come and they are coming and they're sometimes a parent is bringing in a bunch of kids and buying them stuff, but they're coming in on their own and they're using cash to pay for things. And they're sitting with their friends and they're walking down from Eagle Rock High School and middle school. And that that's what I wanted. And that's what we got. And I and, and I I was right. I knew if we gave it to them, they would come. Yeah. And it definitely, you have to do some finicky programming. You definitely, you can see where like, like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a lighter show because I think people right now are really needing to see things that are uplifting and, or like for the adults, they want to see movies that they really love that they haven't had a chance to see in a while or that they they very specifically want to see with an audience. And so we're trying to really watch what people want to see yeah. and hear what they're saying. And usually I don't believe in taking surveys, but in this case, we've like asked people for years, what do you want to see? What do you want to see? And we're listening. Yeah, it's, I, I I have trouble getting out to the movies, even though it's one of my, I used to go four or five times a week. You have a baby. It's completely I have a baby. understandable. And it's also just really expensive to pay for a sitter. Yeah. And, and it's such a long, like all the movies out in theaters right now are like three hours long. And so with that dinner and a movie and the cost of everything, plus the six hours of a sitter to do that evening is just a lot. Well, that's and, one thing I talk a lot about is that, I don't think that 
the film industry is doing itself any favors. I, I, I really, I think there's like all of this like high level freak out about why people aren't going to the movies and like what's happening. And I'm like, well, you made them all three hours long. You let the movie theaters shut down. So now there's like, you've made it even longer because there's travel time involved that didn't used to be there. And then you made them all really expensive. And sorry, that that's like you're you're reversing out of a hundred years of consistent like patterning and behaviors and levels of accessibility, and you're wondering why you're having a, a financial problem. crisis. Yeah, like I think the movie I'm likely going to see next is Barbie, and because I'm just want to support my fellow female filmmakers, but also just. I grew up in a Barbie world. <laughs> yeah. But I just have a feeling they did something really interesting with it. And I want to get a bunch of moms together while our kids are in daycare and go at like noon yeah. and see the movie. And I, I had two weeks, three weeks ago, I wanted to see Kara Sedwick's film that she directed. Which I'm forgetting the name of. And by the time I could get it together to get to the theater, it wasn't there anymore. Yeah. That's, we're doing some sub runs we're doing sub run screenings of movies in our micro cinema Mm -hmm. because so many, especially independent titles now are like coming into commercial movie theaters and leaving within a week or so. Yeah. It's, it's, we'll see how our numbers do. I don't like, I don't know if it will be sustainable. I hope so. I think we need to establish a kind of like awareness that at least in Northeast LA, if you didn't want to drive, you didn't want to do a significant drive time or pay a $20 ticket that it you can reliably see movies after they've opened at Vidiots. I don't know how consistent that will be, but I, I hope so. People yeah. are showing up for them, but yeah, the, the affordability and the, and the ease of going to the movies is like, to me, just address it. Yeah. Just address it. And, and then finance more movies that are like, we need you know, the mid. It was it's small and big right now. We need those like ten to twenty million dollar family films. Gone. That... Or or they don't I don't even know if they have to be family friendly. I think like just make good movies that people want to see. If you watch like I we watched Terms of Endearment recently and I was like, this was a huge commercial movie when I was growing up. If you look at it now, that would be like a deep indie, super indie movie now. Even Jaws would not. I don't know if that would be a tentpole movie now. It's too good. Yeah. Three people so far independently have been like, Jaws is a perfect movie. It is a perfect movie. I totally agree. It just, it hits all of the, the things. Yeah. I think there there are so many I think there are a lot of perfect movies. I think the Celine Skiama Girlhood, which I think very few people outside of the independent film community are aware of it. I think that's a perfect movie. I I, I think Eve's Bayou is a perfect movie. But I like where do you see those movies and how do you get them to wider audiences? I think it's got to be a long-term project to make spaces like Vidiot's 
readily available across the globe. Mm. And then I think you get us back to a place where people are consuming good movies again. Yeah. I yeah. Just, you know, and then, that yeah. whole, like, we don't have any more, like, the water cooler conversations. We had it around succession, but it used to be a movie would open one weekend everyone would go and see it and you'd go to work on Monday or to school on Monday and talk about it. And yeah, because yeah, because it was accessible to everybody. And it was like, and you wanted to go to be part of the conversation. Yeah. And yeah. And now it's, now I see it's like, it's about the, those conversations are about episodic now for sure. Episodic and, and not very many. It's very few that go like make it to, to that and it yeah in a, in a lot of ways because there's just so much story yeah. online like you, it's hard to even keep track of the shows you're watching there's so many yeah. shows yeah absolutely i watch like sopranos my husband and i just like keep watching sopranos over and over again watched it so many times people i think are re-watching the wire like i think there's so much that and i think the pandemic also made people really seek out familiarity. I think a lot of people were rewatching things that made them that they could count on. And I, I, I love all of it. I'm not, I'm not like that much of a snob. I, I don't even actually describe myself as a cinephile. I just describe myself as a film lover because yeah, I went to graduate school for film studies, but I, I don't remember any of it. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure like I could, I certainly can't have a cogent conversation about the French new wave anymore. I used to be able to do that. I can't do that anymore. But I just think that loving the art form that I think has done the most next to music to like create alliances between people who shouldn't have anything in common with each other. I think the cultural catastrophe that we're in, especially in this country right now, and probably globally, has everything to do with the fact that we've lost FM radio. We've lost like TV, like the TV that you could actually just turn on without having 10 subscriptions. We've lost all of these things that were sort of universal in the arts that are no longer universal. Yeah, I think also we lost like the truth of the image and the sound. Everything is so manipulated that yeah. cross digital. And I'm a digital person. I, I've worked in digital a lot and I miss the finality of film of like, you don't have forever. It's not perfect. And yeah. I think the difference between the human and the machine is our imperfections. And so- Yeah, totally. I mean, that like- yeah, it's just, it is. It's a, it's the reason why people gravitate towards it is because they can see themselves in it. So we're nearing towards the end of our hour. So to close this up, I'm going to ask what film, and it doesn't matter his age. So like which film should absolutely be on his list that I should expose him to, to help, help him love cinema? Oh my goodness. Well, we've already talked about the red balloon, but I think that's like a matter of if he gels to it or not for a little guy yeah I think I would try the red balloon I would see how it goes yeah I know that I he loves balloons like 
loves them. So oh, he when, might he might get sad then the balloon doesn't have such a great fate. I know. I'm gonna rewatch it before I show it to him. You should rewatch it. Um, but but he like we walk by a balloon store and it's like blah 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. Oh god. Then he'll at least like the beginning. And then I and then I think the Disney animated foxes is really great. I also okay. like for them to see there's so shamefully little diversity in classic Disney stuff that I avoided a lot of it. And I pursued as much as I could to get them out of their like their box, especially during the pandemic, because they were both they were kind of young when the pandemic started. But but I so I always gravitate towards the animal stuff Mm -hmm. because they're they're not seeing human faces, I think, is a good thing when they're really little. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much for joining. And I will make sure in the liner notes to put information about videos and how to contribute. Thank you. Um, you. Foundation.org. And and yeah, come out and bring him bring him out in the next year and we'll we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay, great. Good talking to you, Jessica. If you enjoyed the conversation, please don't forget to like and subscribe. New episodes release every Wednesday and leave a comment and let me know which movie you think I should show my son. Until next time, take care.